Last week, I was in a conversation with a family in our church walking through one of the most challenging seasons of their life, and I found myself unplanned just defaulting in that conversation to a verse that was really uh, very applicable to them, but it came so quickly because it's one of my own personal life verses. And as I walked away from that moment, I felt stirred in my heart that the principles that I was sharing with them from that personal life verse was a conversation that needed to be had with with all of us publicly. And then I started thinking about all the other life verses that have shaped my spiritual growth, my own discipleship, and my leadership over the last 32 years since I've come to faith in Christ. And it was like something ignited in my heart that if these verses have been that transformational on my journey, they might add value to you. So today and in the coming weeks, I want to take some time and break down some of my life verses, some of the most transformational passages of Scripture that have shaped my life and my leadership. And today I want us to begin with the 12th verse of the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And it's the verse that I referenced in that private conversation with that scared and grief-stricken family earlier this week. Now let me be clear up front today in this message and in the ones that I'll be preaching in the coming weeks from life verses, because these verses have been so foundational for me, I've preached from them many times over the last 32 years. The themes and the application of these verses have become a part of the fabric of my life. They've become a part of the narrative of the story God is writing for my life. So some of this stuff may be familiar to you if I've been your pastor and I've been here 17 years, so you've probably heard um, some of these things before, but I sense in my heart that God is saying to me that they are relevant for us right now. Today, I always try to title my sermons so that I can go back, catalog them, and if I was going to title the message today something besides Romans 12.12, I would call this one wisdom for the hard days. Like a lot of people recently I found myself grasping for some measure of encouragement in the middle of all the bad news. And lately, I've been going back to this verse in Romans 12 that has sustained me in some of the darkest and most difficult hours of my own life. The entire chapter of Romans 12 is probably my favorite chapter in the entire Bible because it is one of the most clear concise descriptions of what an authentic Christian life looks like. This is Romans 12, and then if you go on and read and put verse chapter 13 with it, it, it will give you this clear description of what a mature Christian is supposed to look like in everyday life. But verse 12 is the heartbeat of that entire passage, and that one little sentence is packed full of wisdom. So, In the middle of grief and turmoil, uncertainty, and the division in our world, my heart is grasping for something that is sure, something that's certain and eternal and steadfast and true. And for that reason, I keep being drawn back to Paul's words in Romans 12, 12. It says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We're all living through probably some of the most ambiguous and uncertain times of our life. And what you have here is a divine mandate on how to navigate the uncertainty 
and the adversity. It's showing us how to live a balanced, mature, and centered life while we face hardship and suffering. Now, we're going to look at the entire paragraph that houses that one statement in just a moment before we conclude today, but I want to spend the majority of our time unpacking the power of that one sentence, which that one sentence is basically the Christian life in a nutshell. I mean, this is basically the summation of what a mature Christian response should be to hardship, tribulation, affliction, and suffering. Look at it again. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Our natural tendency or default reaction to uncertainty and hardship is to turn inward. We become inwardly focused, and if we're not careful... Fear will make us selfish because what happens when the world starts falling apart, it is natural human inclination to move to self-preservation. That becomes our goal. Even our prayer lives end up being self-seeking if we're not careful because we turn God into a genie that gets us out of jams and pay little attention to his bigger agenda in our life or his bigger agenda in the world or the needs of other people around us. But Paul's words call for a more Christ-like and mature response to suffering than that. And I want us to start by looking at that middle phrase in the statement because I think the whole statement hinges on the middle phrase. So the full understanding of the verse is born out of that middle phrase. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. That's what I want us to focus on first and then be constant in prayer. Now, just a quick glance over the whole verse. There are six words that are going to jump out to you. Rejoice, which is joy, hope, patience, tribulation, constant, which is consistency, and prayer. Six words, joy, hope, patience, tribulation, consistency, and prayer. And why I want you to see that list is because tribulation is unique. Of any other word on that list, tribulation is unique. Joy, hope, patience, consistency, and prayer are all things that we experience or they are things that we do. But tribulation is something that is done to us. It happens to us. Joy, hope, patience, and consistency are all virtues, moral virtues. And they rise from within our soul as God's grace makes us more like Jesus. There is more joy, more hope, more patience, more consistency. But tribulation is different. It doesn't arise from within. It comes from without, and it's not a moral virtue. It's an external force. And without a kingdom focus, without an eternal perspective, without absolute trust in the Father, when tribulation comes upon your life, it can be a force that will destroy you. So we start with this middle phrase, be patient in tribulation because Tribulation is the environment or soil where godly virtues in our lives are produced. And there's a graphic that is going to grow as we talk about this. And I just, the very first graphic is very simple, just very simple. But I want you to see that how this image grows as we walk through this verse. Tribulation is the environment or soil where the godly virtues in our lives are produced. Let me explain what I mean by that. Tribulation is a normal experience for all of us this side of heaven. Some tribulation we all share together, whether you're a believer in Christ or you're not. There are just certain calamities that come on all of us, sickness, death, 
I mean, all kinds of afflictions and suffering. But some tribulation is unique to believers, like being persecuted for our faith or for Christ's sake. But regardless, tribulation is a normal experience of just simply being alive. And according to the scripture, suffering and hardship is to be expected in this world. The Bible says in Job 14:1, mortals born of woman are a few days and full of trouble. Even Jesus made this promise in John 16:33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart I have overcome the world. Now, most of the time when we're reading that promise from Jesus, our attention drifts automatically to the latter part of the verse. He has overcome the world, and that's our focus. But we forget the first part of that verse is just as much a promise as is the second part of that verse. And the first part is, in the world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. Tribulation is synonymous with living. It's a part of life. If you're not going through it now you will soon. You're either going through it, coming out of it, or you're headed into it. And here's what we have to know. Tribulation is not meant to break us. It's supposed to make us. Tribulation is the soil that produces the harvest of every other seed in our life. Now, it may not make our lives more comfortable or more enjoyable. That's never been the message or promise of real Christianity, a more comfortable life. But sorrow, suffering, sickness, and tribulation, these things mold us into the image of Christ and they prepare us for eternity. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, says this very same thing to them. Listen, listen to him express what I'm saying to you right now to the Corinthian church. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't that last very long. He's comparing them to eternity, all right? Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. As bad as the current circumstances in your life may be, there's something supernatural happening as you walk through whatever you're going through that you cannot see with your physical eyes. There, there's difficulty in your life, but you have to know, as we were singing just a moment ago, even when I don't see it, he is working. Even when it doesn't feel like he's working, he is at work. God is using the season that you're walking through right now to prepare you and mature you. And if you'll let him, he'll take this tribulation and use it as the soil that's going to grow your maturity, your joy, your hope, your patience, your consistency, and your prayer. This is why Paul said, be patient in tribulation, because something supernatural is being produced in you, inside you, when you walk through tribulation, if you'll just remain pliable in his hands. Now, Paul takes this principle a step further. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, listen to what he says. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul makes it clear. 
Christian joy, hope, patience, and endurance are not experienced in seasons when you are free of tribulation. But those Christ-like traits are born in us and produced in us in the soil of tribulation. Now pay attention again to what verse 3 said. We rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Don't miss the foundational principle of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I don't just tolerate tribulation. He's not just tolerating it. He is making it serve God's purposes in his life. He does not allow tribulation to be his master. He makes tribulation his slave. When Satan means for our destruction, God intends for our good. In the very act of trying to destroy our joy with trials and tribulation, our spiritual enemy is actually driving the root of our joy deeper into God. When we allow the suffering in our life to mature us rather than rebuke it, we're not just tolerating it, we're making it serve the purposes of God in our life. Which takes us to the first phrase of this powerful verse, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That first phrase reveals that real joy is rooted in eternal hope, rejoice in hope. Hope is the root of joy. And I want you to see this graphic begin to grow. Tribulation is the soil. Hope is the root of everything that's going to grow in our life. And here's how this plays out in real life. For Christ followers, things can be going really bad in your life right now, but the bad does not have to rob you of your joy if your joy is anchored and rooted in a hope that transcends the current moment. We turn our eyes towards something beyond our current suffering. We turn our eyes towards something beyond this current world. Our hope is anchored in something that will outlast both our suffering and this present world. A hope that can only be fulfilled when we stand in the presence of God for eternity. This is why a follower of Jesus can rejoice in tribulation and not just in times of health and peace and prosperity and security. Paul says in Romans 5.2, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The object of our hope is his glory. We were made to live in his glory. We were made for his presence like a bird is made for air and a fish was made for water. The glory of God is where the human heart flourishes. And on this earth, we only experience a measure of his glory. But our hope is anchored to the reality that one day, All this suffering, all this sin, all this heartache, all this decay is going to give way to the unfiltered glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The ultimate hope of the human heart is not forgiveness or heaven or freedom from disease. The ultimate hope of every heart is the glory of God. You were made to see and savor The glory of God. Christmas happened. Good Friday happened. Easter happened so we could be fully alive in his glorious presence for eternity. That's been the plan of God God since the Garden of Eden. And that's why Romans 12.12 tells us to rejoice in hope. And Romans 5.2 completes that thought. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Listen. 
The heartache of this world proves that you and I were made for another world. And I rejoice in a promised hope that Jesus is going to wipe away every tear and right every wrong. And listen, my grandpa used to say this all the time when I was a little boy, and the older I get, the more I understand it. He used to say, no matter what we're going through right now, son, the first 15 seconds in the glory of God's presence, when you see Jesus face to face, is going to make everything you went through in your life pale in comparison when you're standing in his glory. It's in that moment that we will realize every ounce of earthly hardship and suffering was worth it all. Our suffering, regardless of how severe now, is going to pale in comparison to his glory then. And it reminds me of that old hymn. It's over 80 years old now. It says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. That's why Paul writes, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This was the hope that sustained Paul in his own afflictions. It was, it was a, a joy that he found in the midst of suffering. He reminded himself, you see it in Corinthians and in this letter to the Romans, that he reminded himself that the affliction in his life was not meaningless. It was not absurd. It was not cruel. It was not pointless. It was working for him. It was molding him, shaping him, preparing him for the glory of God that will outweigh every moment and ounce of suffering that has come into his life. This is our Christian hope. It's different than any other kind of hope. Tribulation is the soil, hope is the root, joy and patience are the fruit. And I want you to see the graphic grow. Tribulation is the soil, hope is the root, patience and joy become the fruit. All of it growing out of tribulation, but a hope has to be rooted, something beyond this world. When that happens and you have a hope that is rooted in something beyond this world when you're going through tribulations, it produces the patience and the joy. Watch the writer of Hebrews because he links everything we're talking about right now in, into the life of Christ. You see it embodied in the life of Jesus. It says this in Hebrews 12, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Watch this. Because of the joy, there's the joy piece, awaiting him, that's the hopeful piece. If, if you're awaiting something, anticipating something, there's the hope piece. Okay, so the joy piece, the hope piece. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. That's the suffering component. There's patience here in the midst of his tribulation. The way the traditional translation says it, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's the joy, the hope, and the patience in tribulation. Jesus embodied and lived out what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12. But how does all of that tie in to the very last phrase of that little verse about being constant in prayer? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. The word constant here doesn't mean that you're just praying every minute of the day. It just means persisting in prayer. It, it means persevering in prayer. It means staying at it, being devoted to it, not giving up or slacking off, but being habitual 
When, when it calls us to be constant in prayer, it's calling us to be the opposite of random, occasional, sporadic, or intermittent. Paul is saying all Christians need to make prayer a regular, habitual, reoccurring, disciplined part of their life. We ought to be treating prayer the way we do eating and sleeping and being committed to our job on a regular basis. Don't be hit and miss about this prayer thing. Prayer is not designed to be a bailout plan. And prayer is not a dial up on the fly when you need out of a jam. Prayer is a conversation that builds a relationship with God. Sure, God is available anytime, and he'll help you out anytime. But he's dishonored in the life of mature believers when we don't give him focused attention. All relationships suffer without focused attention. Paul is calling all of us to a life of regular, planned meetings with God that are more than self-absorbed cries for help. Real prayer is worship. It's intercession for other people. It's praying for God to fulfill his agenda in the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer becomes this simple conversation with the friend. Being constant in prayer is God's way of awakening our hope and producing in us the fruit of joy and patience when we're going through trial and hardship and suffering. So prayer is the nourishment that makes all of this grow. And I want you to continue to see the graphic. Tribulation is the, the soil. Hope is the root. You have the fruit being produced from that, but it takes the nourishment of prayer to make it all grow. When we started, I mentioned that we would plug this one sentence, Romans 12, 12, back into its paragraph and see it in its full context. Because then you understand why Paul said what he did. Romans 12, 12 is the centerpiece of a conversation about relationships. It's the centerpiece of a conversation about loving people and caring for people. And I'm going to read it paragraph out of the New Living Translation, so verse 12 is going to sound a little different. I read it out of the English Standard Version the last several times, but, but I want you to see the context here. Romans 12, 9, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This whole thing starts off, don't pretend to love others. Don't pretend. Do it real. Do it right. The whole context of Romans 12, 12 is this conversation about love in the middle of relationship. So love is the seed that starts the whole thing. So when you plant the seed of Christian love in the soil of tribulation and you anchor it to the root of hope, the fruit of joy and patience are then born and it's all nourished by consistency in our prayer lives. So let me say it again. Tribulation is the soil. Love is the seed. Hope is the root. Joy and patience are the fruit. And prayer is the nourishment that makes it all grow. This is how mature believers walk and live out. And this is biblical wisdom for the hard days and the tough seasons of our lives. In the season of K-12, 
chaos and confusion and ambiguity and strife that we all find ourselves in. May the entire chapter of Romans 12 be a go-to guide. Romans 13, be a go-to guide in your life. Romans 14, they're all incredible practical insights on everyday Christian living. But specifically, may verse 12 be the source of your joy and strength. Here it is, one of my life verses. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, and may God give us the grace to live it out.